Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military, from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Davis with us. Dr. Davis is an Air Force staff radiologist assigned to the 88 Diagnostics and Therapeutics Squadron at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He graduated medical school at Toro University Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine as a top graduate, completed his intern year at Southampton Hospital in New York, and his radiology residency at Travis Air Force Base in Colorado, or excuse me, California. Dr. Davis was also deployed to Afghanistan as the sole radiologist at Bagram Air, Airfields Hospital. Uh, so I'm excited to hear some of the things he has to share with us. Uh, so with that, Dr. Davis, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be a part of this podcast. Uh, I wish something like this was available when I was um, an HPSP medical student, you know, going through med school and trying to decide on a specialty. And uh, I think it's great what you're doing and your committee is doing. So happy to be a part of it. Yeah, we're excited. I think this was started only uh, maybe two or three years ago. I think I'm only the third person to run the podcast. So it's okay. it's definitely been a game changer. And I've talked to a lot of students that weren't even aware about it. So this is kind of like changing the game in terms of like giving people info and understanding, you know, getting the insights that are kind of hard to find because you can't normally Google like, what is it like to be an Air Force radiologist? And you end up just getting like the Air Force's main page and you never really get any of the real details you want. That's so true. I, I remember having a lot of pressure on me, uh, basically, you know, just my own personal pressure I was putting on myself to decide on a specialty and um, that can be a pretty stressful experience. So the more info, the better for all these medical students. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to start off with that, well, I already kind of told you, uh, told a little bit about your education, I guess, I uh, kind of want to start with uh, the general question we ask everybody. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, medical school, any other details related to your education, as well as any family you want to share that's uh, more than open, just so we can get an idea of who you are. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm 35 years old now, um, and I've been in the Air Force for uh, nine years active duty. Um, but of course, you know, the med school years don't count um, for <laughs> me anyways. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, let's see, going back to birth, I guess, um, um, both my parents were in the Air Force, and they retired after 26 and 24 years. My Dad was a special ops helicopter pilot, and then my mom was a nurse. Um, so we moved around a lot. Uh, I call Colorado home. That's where I went through eighth grade, high school, uh, eighth grade, middle school, high school, college. Um, and my parents still live there. My sister's a psychiatrist in Denver. So um, family's still out there. And even though I'm living in Ohio, it's, that's still home. Um, yeah, I went to the Air Force Academy. I was a business management major, um, not even thinking about medicine at that time. I, I um, just wanted to do my five-year commitment, basically, that you incur from the academy and get out and do uh, get an MBA, do business, and um, do what a lot of cadets you know, think they're going to do is like work for Goldman Sachs or some crazy New York job that everybody aspires to, at least in the management department there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, changed my mind and decided to, um, do something a little bit more meaningful. And I think my mom had something to do with that because she was a career Air Force nurse. So, um, she kind of steered me towards the medical field. 
Um, so I applied to be a hospital administrator um, right out of the academy, just like your previous guest, uh, Dr. Cuevas, um, the anesthesiologist. So we, we did that together. Um, we were academy classmates and um, then did hospital administration. Um, I did it for two years. I think he did it for three years. So uh, I did medical logistics at Andrews Air Force Base, um, did my night classes there at the University of Maryland to get my med school prereqs. Um, applied first chance I had, um, and just basically went wherever I got in. And that was Toro, Nevada, out in Henderson, Nevada. Um, great experience. It was, uh, I really put my nose to the grindstone out there and, um, you know, did well. And, and that kind of got me going into internship and residency. So, um, Coming out of med school, like I said earlier, I wish this kind of resource was available when I was going through med school because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I thought about um, dermatology, ophthalmology, um, and radiology, and I still didn't know as a third and fourth year, so I just applied for just a TY internship, gave myself a couple extra months to think about it, um, and so... Basically, I just did a PGY-1 with nothing to follow on and uh, decided on radiology. And then I applied for a PGY-2 spot. Um, and at the time, uh, the Air Force only had two residencies. That's uh, Travis, which is the smaller of the two, and then um, San Antonio, which is um, a little bit bigger. I think they accept eight uh, residency year, like six to eight, something like that. And Travis is four. Um, so I got into Travis, which is what I wanted. I wanted a smaller um, residency. Um, did that. And let's see. So that was that was four years there in California. Um, then I've been at Wright Pat for the last two years. So I um, have a little bit of experience behind me. Two years is not a whole lot, but it's something. So um, personal life, I'm married to another physician. She's civilian though. Uh, she's a sports medicine doctor. You got a lot of positions in the family. It seems like your wife, and <laughs> one of your siblings as well. And then, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Your mom a lot of medical. Being, uh, nurse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it always gives us something to talk about. And my wife's family, I mean, her dad's a doctor and then her two siblings are also doctors. So it's yeah. A lot of, uh, <laughs> medical, you know, um, back and forth. So I was going to say Thanksgiving dinner has got to be pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to be honest, I'm still a little jealous of my um, academy classmates that are pilots, and I love hearing their stories. It's some of the high-speed things they get to do um, day in and day out. So it's, I mean, being a doctor is a great lifestyle, and no regrets, um, but, you know, it's always fun to hear other people's stories, too. Absolutely. Uh, I think I do, I'm going to circle back, because I, I really want to talk yeah. about uh, uh residency just because you brought it up and then I'll circle back to the more generic questions. So you said sure. you wanted to go to a smaller residency program. Do you want to elaborate on like the, your decision tree on that? Yeah. So, um, great question. And that's a super personal decision for everybody. Um, sure. you know, mainly the, uh, smaller, um, residency programs will, um, they still have about the same staff to resident ratio um, as a larger program. Um, sometimes you have a little bit more staff, to be honest. Um, you did at Travis anyways, uh, compared to San Antonio. So 
I thought it was like basically going to a smaller college versus, you know, a, a um, state university. What, you know, you have um, better attending to resident ratio, more time um, one-on-one with the attendings, um, kind of less, less overall stress in the day-to-day life, I thought. Um, just more, more hands-on learning experiences. Okay. Yeah. And that was yeah. something I, I, I thought about too, is I, you know, I, I'm right now nearing the, uh, the residency match myself and like thinking about different programs and I'm wondering, well, um, would a smaller program be better or what kind of environment is going to look best for me? And everybody always talks about, well, what, what's, the, what's the culture like? And that seems like such a very hand wavy term. And like, it, it's very hard until you like, I guess, do your audition rotations and stuff like that yeah. to really feel out what that means. Yeah, well, I can give you a concrete example. So um, in radiology, we have a couple different specialties within the field. And so in residency, you'll rotate through these specialties. The way Travis did it was you go through one of these specialties each month. So the specialties are um, chest imaging. So that's that's things like chest CTs, chest X-rays, cardiac MRIs, cardiac CTs, that kind of thing. Um, then you have the body service. And so that's chest, or sorry, that's abdomen, pelvis, um, CT and MR. Uh, you have mammography and that's, you know, that's reading tons of mammos and ultrasounds, procedures, that kind of thing. Um, you have MSK, which is probably my favorite field. Um, so that's, um, you know, extremity, radiographs, CTs, um, heavy MRI, um, arthrograms, like those kind of procedures you have ultrasound was its own service at Travis. Um, some of the bigger programs kind of combine ultrasound into the body service. It just depends. Uh, in residency, we did, um, a month every year of interventional radiology. And that's not something that I continue to do in my daily practice nowadays, just because unlike the rest of the field of radiology, you really do need to be, um, subspecialty trained to continue to do IR, uh, even though I did some when I was deployed, but that's a different story. Um, let's see we'll what certainly else talk about operational in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to get into that. Um, probably missing a couple of services. Uh, pediatrics, um, so that's basically anybody under 18, as you can imagine. Um, and, oh, neuroradiology is a big one. Um, and then I think the last one is nuclear medicine. So uh, you do a month on those and um, I forget the wh- where we were going with this, but um, oh yeah, so the concrete example. So a smaller residency versus a bigger residency. So if I was on that MSK service, I would have, it would just be me and the attending in the reading room together. And, you know, they're not in there all the time, sometimes, it just depends on the attending style. Sometimes they come in for a couple hours and read out everything that you've done, or sometimes they are in there and, you know, teaching you at the monitor. I think it maybe might depend on um, how experienced you are. They won't leave a first year resident, you know, to their own devices, uh, (laughs) whereas they give more leeway to the fourth year um, residents. So uh, a smaller residency, you'll have one-to-one pretty much, whereas a bigger residency, it could be you as a junior resident, maybe a first year paired up with a senior resident and then uh, in like a bigger reading room. 
and then you have one staff um, or maybe two, two staff. But uh, basically, you'd get a lot of learning from the senior resident. And, um, you know, it, it's just a different learning technique than what you'd get from somebody that has years and years and subspecialty training in that field to, to teach you. So I just wanted, you know, just one-on-one basically. And, uh, and I think that was a good fit for me, but like I said earlier, uh, if you thrive in, um, like a little bit more chaos and, um, and, uh, just learning from somebody a little bit older than you, uh, then or more, a couple more is more experienced than you, then maybe a bigger residency is something you should consider. Yeah. I would imagine those, the smaller residency, you really need to do that audition there too, to make sure like, is there going to be less personalities for you to clash or jive with? I, I would imagine. So like you, you need to make oh, sure yeah. that you actually click with those people. Otherwise it's going to be a very, um, uncomfortable couple of years training. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And, um, fortunately at Travis, we were just really blessed with all the attendings and I still, you know, text them and, um, email them about certain questions that I have. Uh, and you can always do that. I'm big or small residency, at least in the military anyways. Um, you can always rely on your past attendings for, for some pointers and guidance. So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, that's, that's a perk of the military, right? Is that we're, while overall a big community, uh, at the end of the day, it is kind of small, relatively speaking, compared to the outside civilian sector where everybody scatters to the wind after training. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, it's the Air Force, I think, has about 85 radiologists in total. So that's the size of some big groups, you know, in, in major, major urban areas. So it is a small community spread out ac- across the world. Do you guys have like any meetings where like you kind of get together as Air Force radiologists and kind of meet and combine minds? Is there anything like that? You know, um, sometimes uh, maybe 10 uh, radiologists will go to the annual conference that's in Chicago, Illinois. That's just the, you know, general radiology conference. It's not like a military conference, but sometimes they'll have a meeting there. Um, but I think in every, uh, every year in March, there's a uh, webinar um, just kind of briefing the state of Air Force radiology and it's pretty low threat and but that we don't have any formal meetings. It'd be cool if we did, but we don't. Okay. Uh, so I guess talking about the specialty, I did want to kind of hit on what kind of led you to actually pursue your specialty because you kind of uh, there's a little bit of uh, and hand waving around choosing on radiology. So I'd like to know a little bit more about that, but then kind of following that up with, uh, what are kind of the things that you like and don't like about the specialty? And then uh, also kind of extrapolating that to what you like and don't like in the Air Force. Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> so, <Keep> talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll start with um, what, where, or how I chose um, radiology. So yeah, I, I mentioned just unsure about what I wanted to do, maybe ophthalmology, maybe derm. Um, and then radiology. So I eliminated derm, um, at least in the Air Force, it's extremely, extremely hard to get as a med student. You pretty much need to have flight surgery experience to get a derm slot. Um, so that was kind of uh, checked off the list uh, once I found that out. 
um, ophthalmology and uh, radiology just came down to a decision of, do I want to see patients, you know, left, you know, <laughs> do I want to see 20 patients, 30 patients a day? And, um, and I, I kind of um, just really reflected on it and decided, no, I, I don't want that. Um, I'm a pretty introverted person. I like to um, be able to make a really informed decision. And sometimes that makes, or that means like looking things up on Google or um, reading some journal articles, which in radiology, you have time to do. You can, if you're um, not sure about a case, you can just go over to your computer and type in, you know, say like pneumothorax radiology and about a thousand articles will pop up, you know, and you can read them. Um, whereas if you're in a, uh, a patient encounter in ophthalmology, you, you don't have that luxury. And I just really appreciate um, taking my time, really thinking about a case and coming to a good conclusion that can, that can help the provider. Um, yeah, so I, I love um, just kind of being left to my own devices there. Um, I like the pace of the workflow. When you come in in the morning, you have the whole list um, of studies that you need to read through, uh, for the day. And you just work down the list. And once you're done, you're done. Um, you don't have to follow up labs, follow up patient charts. Once you read that list, you are done. And um, I like that. It's just a sense of finality at the end of every day, something that you look or that you can look back on and say, wow, I, you know, accomplished that and time to go home and put work behind me. Um, so uh, I, I like when I go home, I don't have to think about work. Um, so, yeah, we don't see patients um, a whole lot, which I, you know, do enjoy. Um, I, you know, patients can. Um, give doctors headaches. I, I know from my, my wife, um, she sees a lot of patients every day. So, um, that doesn't mean we don't see some patients. I, I, uh, do arthrograms, uh, MSK injections on maybe six people a week. And then when I'm on mammography, I do, um, lots of breast biopsies and ultrasounds. So I think last week I did like four breast biopsies. So, um, if you want a, a very small amount of patient interaction, radiology could be a, a good career field for you. Um, the most you'll get is with MAMO um, because you will have some follow-up with these patients, like giving them their biopsy results after you do a biopsy, that kind of thing. But if you really like, um, you know, a long-term relationship with a patient where you're following up their blood sugars or cholesterol, or even if you're a surgeon, you know, following them up after a procedure for X amount of prescribed Medicare visits. Um, it just doesn't happen in radiology. Um, so those are the things that I really like about the field. Uh, things that I don't like about the field, not much, honestly. Uh, if I had to choose it again, I definitely would. Um, let's see. Um, so I guess I can talk about artificial intelligence because even when I was an intern that was in 2015. I remember um, I was scrubbed into a case and I think it was an anesthesiologist um, was like, aren't you worried about computers taking over your job? The and, doom and gloom. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was kind of a smart aleck and I said, aren't you worried about CRNAs taking over yours? <laughs> um, but uh, no, so, so AI definitely is like something that radiologists are um, aware of, but not concerned about. So 
AI will um, will um, actually just make our jobs easier. So um, I use I do a little bit of moonlighting um, on the side, and we don't have a whole lot of AI capacity in the Air Force, but this moonlighting job that I have, they um, have this uh, tool where it will just highlight all the pulmonary nodules in a chest CT. Um, it's not like you can send a patient through a, a CT scanner and a robot will figure out the diagnosis. It still takes a radiologist to be, to, you know, look at these nodules and say, oh, okay, well, that one needs follow-up. That one doesn't need follow-up. That one's stable. This one's growing, that kind of thing. Um, so AI definitely isn't, I would say, close, maybe, maybe another 20 years from, um, like trying to replace a radiologist. In the meantime, in those 20 years, I just see it really helping radiologists um, get through studies faster, making um, us more accurate, leading to fewer misses, that type of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't see it replacing our jobs. Um, and, you know, some automation um, will just help us. Um, I think that can kind of go for any career field, whether whether or not you're a doctor, um, just any automation in the daily uh, job can kind of enhance your your day-to-day -day, um, experience. And I think it's a positive thing, not to, you know, not, not something that we should be so doom and gloom about. Sure. Um, I yeah. Agree with, I would agree with that. I think um, that at least the way I've always thought of it, right, is that AI is learning from the patterns that the radiologist or whoever is training that AI to see, right? right? So that, that they don't, yeah. that it always comes down to ones and zeros, right? At the end of the day, there's some sort of dichotomy that a computer has to see uh, to some extent, right? And so ultimately it takes that, that overarching person to make a decision or to put this complex clinical uh, picture together to make a decision. And sometimes what, may at that one threshold at that one time may have said like, yes, we need to biopsy that. And then you could have the same exact picture, but from your understanding, clinical context and experience, you would go, maybe this one doesn't, maybe that one did, but this one doesn't. And I don't think AI will ever quite reach that level. That's something I don't even think we entirely understand that decision tree that we make. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where, uh, you know, in Star Trek, you put them in a, like a little pod and then that pod <laughs> just heals them right away. You know, I think that's right. um, science fiction, but, uh, you know, doctor, I'm a DO. I think you're a DO as well. Um, you know, we do, we do learn a lot about taking care of the whole patient picture and um, yeah, that even applies in radiology, you know, trying to figure things out from a holistic um, perspective, believe it or not. And uh, sometimes a computer just can't do that, as you mentioned. Yeah, I would agree. I think in anesthesiology, which is a, a, the specialty I'm pursuing, like we talk about, um, we actually right now, it's not quite AI, but like you would set your alarms. But like one of the things I hear my attendants talk about is set them at a meaningful threshold because mm -hmm. otherwise you get into this area of uh, like alarm fatigue, right? So mm. like being able sure. to identify, you know, if you keep hearing the alarm, you keep turning it off because you're not actually worried about that's not a meaningful threshold. And I think the same kind of thing could almost apply to AI, like you were talking about, well, it would highlight all the pulmonary nodules. But what about the ones that it didn't catch? Like that, and then that's where I, I feel like 
you know, your expertise really comes in is identifying, well, they didn't highlight this because it's questionable and maybe they don't think yeah. it's a preliminary nodule, but I think that would be. Sure. Or the incidental, you know, finding on that CT chest, looking for nodules, you might, what if there's an aortic dissection or something like that? So yeah. at the end of the day, you still need an experienced radiologist to make a judgment call, um, especially one that's going to take a patient to surgery or have a huge impact on somebody's life. Yes, we um, radiologist at a, my school, a professor, he would always remind us as we're looking at these images. He was, and it's funny you mentioned uh, incidental findings. He was like, remember, you're responsible for everything that's on that image, not just what <laughs> so you're true. For. Yeah, yeah. One of my my favorite cases is a, um, so just a shoulder x-ray, you know, you see a ton of those and just rule out, you know, fracture, osteoarthritis, that kind of thing. And you, if you look at the lung apex, there's a big uh, tumor up there. And, um, you know, of course that is a one in a hundred thousand case, but it just goes to show that, yeah, there's always something lurking in the background and radiology can be a minefield and you just gotta be focused on every case. Yeah. So I'm gonna kind of switch gears here a little bit. Um, I do wanna go ahead and hit the the operational side. And it, yeah. I saw, you know, I put that uh, in the, um, in the introductions, you were the sole radiologist at Bagram. That's got to be an interesting story. I'd love to hear more about that <laughs> and what uh, operational radiology looks like, because that that seems like something that has a lot of questions to be answered. So please unlock that uh, mystery box for me. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, deploying was something that I always wanted to do um, in the military. All of my academy classmates have served in, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan, pretty much, it seems like anyways. And um, I was just like the last one to do it. Um, so it was something that I wanted to do. I volunteered for and I uh, left um, about three months after I got to write Pat. So I finished residency in um, the end of June in 2019 and I left for Afghanistan in October. So. Uh, my wife and I, you know, just gotten settled. We were long distance during residency. So it was, that was a huge bummer uh, to leave after yeah. we'd just gotten to the same place. Um, but uh, yeah, I volunteered and, um, and it was definitely the highlight of my um, career so far, Air Force or uh, physician career. So I would encourage anybody to try to do it. Um, it changes your perspective on medicine and um you know, what, what really uh, critical things are in life and in, and in your field. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, I was in Bagram. I was, uh, so at the time um, they hadn't started ramping down just yet. I think 2019, actually, they, they therefore dropped the most amount of munitions in the entire war. Uh, so it was still a really hot area. Um, and Bagram is, is the big airfield, and, or it was anyways, in um, Afghanistan. So it was cool to see, you know, the planes. And, and um, also we had the Army and Navy um, special operators there as well. Um, so it was, you just felt in the military, basically. Um, whereas, you know, stateside, it could almost feel like a corporate hospital type deal. But uh, so it's kind of, you know, a HUA experience and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's see. We had about 200, I think we had two, right around 200 traumas. I was there for nine months. 
Um, and we had 200 traumas at that uh, during those nine months. So um, when a trauma gets called, um, I was the only radiologist. So I had a pager 24 seven and nine months of call basically. Uh, so you get a, a page if it's two in the morning, you have to answer it and, and throw on scrubs. And, um, and then you go to the trauma bay, uh, look at you know the stat radiograph, see if there's something imminent, but most of the time they'll end up taking the patient right to uh, the scanner, do a full body CT scan. And it's, uh, it was pretty intimidating. Um, I had trauma rotations in radiology at UC Davis in Sacramento, but it was nothing like Afghanistan, um, the entire trauma team. So neurosurgeon, trauma surgeon, orthopedics, um, they're all basically over your shoulder while you're scanning. Um, just waiting for you to make a call. And, uh, you know, fortunately I had great residency and really good training in trauma. And, uh, it wasn't, you know, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all. Um, and, uh, we, we were able to save a lot of people, um, 200 traumas. I think, I think like 98% of those folks survived. So, oh, wow. um, that's not, that's not just because of me, obviously, you know, it, we had 150 people in that hospital working, to save these people's lives. And, uh, it was, it was an incredible experience. Um, otherwise, yeah. Uh, what else? Um, deployment's a great opportunity to get in shape. <laughs> There's not a whole <laughs> lot else to do. Um, and food is free. So, you know, you can really bulk up and, and, uh, eat a ton. So yeah, they, they just, uh, shut down Bagram. Um, troops are coming home after almost 20 years there. So, um, hopefully, um, you know, things go okay in that country. I, I feel for the Afghans and, um, you know, they've just been experiencing war, uh, so long, but hopefully things work out in their best interest over there. Yeah. I was going to say I'm, I'm 31. Uh, and you know, the, this war has been going on so long that it literally takes up two thirds of the time I've been alive. So Hearing yeah. that Bagram shutting down and like it seems like we're really coming home this time is like a very odd and strange feeling because we have been like in this slow burn war for so long. Yeah, yeah, and um, like I said, you know, if, um, I it was my best experience as a um, professional. I would recommend anybody in the military do it. Um, right now, I guess we're limited in opportunities to to deploy to a combat zone, but you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to go to war, right? We, we don't want these things. We don't want our troops to get hurt. We don't um, want troops to die. Um, so even though I said it's my favorite experience, you know, take that with a grain of salt because it was a very, a trying experience. And um, one, you know, where you saw a lot of death and unfortunate things. Um, so I guess if you have the experience, um, do it and just, uh, uh, even if you have a humanitarian experience, um, to, to do that, I think, uh, your previous guest, uh, Dr. Cuevas got to go to, I think, um, a couple countries in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, region. And so obviously that's not a combat deployment, but that's still a deployment where we're, um, helping people and, and showing, um, you know, foreigner, foreigners, uh, what America's military can do. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I did, um, 
humanitarian mission, uh, you know, when I was Navy as a corpsman, I responded to the to the earthquake in Haiti. And that was by far the, oh, wow. uh, one of the most powerful experiences I had in medicine, but also military medicine and seeing like, you know, what we're able to do, like you said, there's a, there's also this strange feeling where nobody talks about money, right? When we're, yeah. when we're out there doing that. And it's kind of nice, right? Like there's the, it doesn't seem like there's the same kind of restrictions and you just feel like you can just do your job. And it's like, amazing. Like yeah. You know, it's um, sometimes your resources are limited when you're overseas. True. Um, they're, they're limited and you have to do with uh, what you got. But, um, you know, if, if a CT scanner breaks in Afghanistan, it's not like we can call the GE rep or the um, Phillips <laughs> rep out and, have it fixed the next day you know so right. um it does take a little bit of ingenuity from those other 150 people that work at that hospital to come up with a fix um but you're you're right that sometimes money isn't an option um i did have like where our scanner did go down and um we had to use our backup but uh our hospital administrator out there ordered this like i think it was like a eighty thousand dollar part and it was basically overnighted um from somewhere in the States or Europe uh, via DHL. And this DHL plane, plane landed at Bagram with our part and put us back in the game. Um, so yeah, resources are, I think the money game is a little bit different. I'm not really um, attuned to the specifics of that, but if you need something, they'll get it for you. Yeah, it's such a wild concept, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes, that's that sounds like some amazing experiences. I I actually wish I had the opportunity to go to Afghanistan, but at the same time, I'm also happy to hear that you know we're putting you know less of our troops in harm's way. So it that truly a double-edged sword. But kind of in that that same realm, since we're already kind of hitting on it, I did want to ask, uh, what are the differences you see between uh, military and civilian training and medicine, and what do you think are some lessons learned from one setting that you may use in the other? Um, so we'll talk about residencies briefly, um, uh, military residencies, at least when I finished in 2019, um, we were still under ACGME, even though we were, you know, on a military installation. So we had the 20 days off a year. Um, we had work hour restrictions, the whole 90 yards, um, even though we wore a uniform every day and, and, and that, but, um, so military residencies, civilian residencies, um, pretty much the same, you know. Um, I like to think that military does um, training a little bit better um, just because I think people might care a little bit more about their residents. Um, but that's just uh, my own opinion. I don't know, I don't have anything to back that up with. Um, so later, uh, once you finish residency, um, Military um, radiology practices or, you know, flights or groups, however you want to call it, are a little bit slower than their civilian counterparts. Um, I think an average radiologist will read maybe like between 50 and 70 RVUs a day, um, which. You there, sir? I think you may have muted yourself. Uh, let's see. Oh, you're back. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, civilian and military differences once you're an attending, I think 
Um, military practices might be a little bit slower than civilian practices. Uh, an average civilian radiologist will read between 50 and I think 70 RVUs a day, something around that. And that would equate to about 40 CTs or 40 MRIs. Um, whereas a military radiologist, I think I read like 170 RVUs in total last week. So over five days. So you can do the math on that, but it's, um, it's just a little bit slower. Um, and that's just because, um, they, they have more radiologists than they need in case, you know, there, there's a need downrange for, um, radiologists, like trauma radiologists. Yeah, I, I, I think I have the argument or at least the thought process, I'll say that, um, that in some ways that's better. I feel like it, it protects against some level of burnout in all specialties when, you know, you're kind of given, uh, or there's less push for throughput or this efficiency gain uh, to kind of like sit with the patient or in your case, maybe sit with a study and not uh, feel like you're so under the gun. And I, I kind of see that as a positive, but you know, some people make the arguments that maybe that skills atrophy a little bit only because you're not seeing that same volume. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, um, that is a great point. And, uh, you know, if you're, so the, I think I mentioned there are around 85 Air Force radiologists dispersed at probably 20 or so bases that actually have capacity to do radiology. And some of these places are definitely not trauma centers. The hospital I work at is a community hospital. Um, so yeah, skills in my you know trauma radiology have atrophied a little bit since deployment, and that's why I do a little bit of moonlighting to supplement you know my um, trauma experience. Um, some radiologists are I think there's there are a couple places where it's a one man shop or one woman shop, and uh, they're just there's just one radiologist there responsible for um, you know a small contingent, um, a small like uh, group of airmen. And, uh, you know, obviously they aren't reading a whole lot of um, uh, critical, like inpatient ICU type films because they might be at a hospital that doesn't even have an ICU. So um, it is important to, you know, keep up on your CMEs and um, maybe supplement with some moonlighting yeah, if you're an Air Force radiologist. And then, you know, the beauty of the military is you can ask for a reassignment every three or four years. So you know, if you think you're um, kind of getting weak in an area, you can try to go to one of the bigger places like San Antonio or Travis um, or Germany uh, that, that read a little bit um, more high acuity stuff. Okay. How do you, uh, how common do you think it is and how supportive do you think commands are with uh, moonlighting, at least in the Air Force? I think it depends on your command at, you know, wherever you are. Um, so I'm at Wright Pat. Um, there are um, six Air Force radiologists, and then there's a contractor. And I think, um, including myself, five of us moonlight. So you know that's a pretty high percentage. Um, and I would say, of so I graduated with three other um, guys in my class at residency, and all three of those guys moonlight. So it's it's very common. Um, I don't know if I can put an exact number on like the total force that moonlights, but I would say 75% of radiologists moonlight. And that doesn't mean they're like going home and 
you know, working another 40 hour you know, <laughs> week. Um, I think the Air Force puts like, I don't know, I think it's like 65 hours a month um, restriction on it. And then there's some, you know, restrictions on um, like when your last shift can be versus when your um, Air Force job starts. Cause you know, they, like you said, you don't want to get burned out. Right. So I guess kind of following within that, because since we're now we're kind of getting into some command uh, type things, is uh, what do you think some of the struggles are with uh, balancing being an officer and a physician, and how do you how do you find balance in those, and maybe uh, what are some pitfalls that we should avoid between being a physician and an officer and those related things? So to simplify that, yeah. uh, physicians and officers, uh, being a physician, being an officer, that relationship. What are your insights? Um, well, um, yeah, that's certainly something that really only applies to the military and it's a big responsibility to be an officer, um, when you have, um, uh, a bunch of young airmen or soldiers or, you know, sailors looking up to you, um, as what do we do? You know, they're, they're, um, 22 or even younger in a lot of cases, whereas, at a, at a civilian hospital, you have, you know, x-ray techs that have been doing this for 30 years and they don't, you know, they have the experience. They don't need to ask the radiologist all the time. So um, being an officer and a radiologist specifically, you need to have a lot of patience um, just for the young folks and realize that everybody's learning um, in the military. Everybody is still um, trying to do the best they can with sometimes with limited resources, things that break. Um, so just be patient, I think is one of the best things you can do. Um, try to listen, you know, I, I try to like read through that list as efficiently and quickly as I can. Um, but sometimes you just have to like close your office door, um, and have a talk with somebody if, if they're struggling or if they need some help. Um, so, you know, just being a good listener as well, um, because they do look up to you, you know, they're a lot of these airmen are young. Um, they come in right out of, out of high school and you're a doctor. So you're, um, you know, you have a lot of um, sway, whether you like it or not. Um, and uh, just, you know, try to be a good example. I think don't, don't be too arrogant or a doctor, you know, try to try to level with them and, um, and, uh, and just listen, basically. Um, maintain good physical fitness, I think is key. Um, just because that is a big part about um, being in the military, just try to take care of your body and the rest will follow in a lot of cases. All right. Yeah. I would and circling back on one of the things you said uh, about education and teaching and stuff like that. Um, it was actually because of some of the battalion surgeons that I had while I was in the Navy, you know, and serving with the Marine Corps and stuff like that. Um, it was because of them that I'm in medical school. They continue to kind of foster that and continue to teach me maybe even beyond what I should know as a corpsman at that time. And like that made it such a huge difference in my decision. And now it's a big part of what I try and do with, you know, some of the enlisted folks that kind of reach out to me and say like, oh, how did you do that going from enlisted to officer and becoming a physician and stuff. And like, that was a huge difference. And I, I think um, we, uh, medical officers make a much more significant impact than I think they even give themselves credit for when it comes to how they interact with uh, enlisted personnel, the medics and stuff like that. 
Definitely. Yeah. And, and medics, um, you know, they're, they're generally, um, they perform better in high school and on their, um, you know, air force entrance tests than other career fields. So they're not dummies, you know, and right. just give them a lot of respect. And a lot of times, um, like your own experience, you can really, um, foster a good, uh, mentoring, um, um, you know, uh, relationship with, with the people that work for you. I certainly hope to try, uh, kind yeah. of falling within that same thing. So what advice do you give to students that are choosing, uh, radiology? Well, um, I mean, I would say do it, uh, cause I love it, but you have <laughs> to, um, you have to just be really true to yourself if, uh, with whatever specialty you're, you're thinking of. My wife does sports medicine and absolutely loves it. Um, you know, I couldn't do what she does and she, she probably could do what I do, but, uh, um, yeah, I think that you just really have to be um, true with yourself because you're going to do this for maybe, you know, hopefully, um, 30, 40 years, you know, so it's something that you really have to find joy in and, um, not just, you know, picking radiology, but picking anything, picking family medicine or surgery or psychiatry, you just have to be passionate about it. And then, um, if, if you're not uh, passionate about it, I don't, I don't think you'll succeed in it. Don't, don't do it for, you know, lifestyle reasons or, um, financial reasons do it because you really enjoy it. And, um, for me, I, I really do get a lot of pleasure out of radiology. Um, I like going into work every day and that makes all the difference. So, um, kind of within that same vein, and this will actually be our wrap up question. Is there anything you wish you knew as a medical student or intern that you know now? Oh boy. Um, hmm. I think um, being able to take uh, criticism um, was tough for me, you know, um, even at, even though like I went through the Academy and had people yelling at me all the time, like, you know, I, I was good under, I thought, you know, pretty good under pressure and good at taking criticism. But when, when you're trying to generate a radiology report and you have 80 of them to do a day, you know, and that's 80 opportunities for an attending to critique your, your report basically, and give you constructive criticism. So, um, you know, just take it all with a grain of salt and don't be afraid to ask questions and to continually learn because nobody out there is, um, going to be the smartest radiologist ever after finishing residency. And even though you think, you know, a lot, you're, you don't really. And, um, I think just kind of being, staying humble, um, being able to ask questions, um, take criticism, um, like think about it for a little bit and then move on, um, move on with your life and, and leave it behind you. Um, I think that's, something that I wish I uh, did better as a first year and um, something that quickly, uh, you know, I quickly got better at as I, as I went on. Yeah. I think uh, I talked to my wife uh, about this in particular, and uh, I've said to her the other day, cause I would always think that I'm humble and then I would catch myself being arrogant or not listening and stuff like that. And I think uh, the key that I've kind of discovered with that, and I think I told her the other day, like I see um, humility as a practice. That's not a trait that somebody inherently has. It's a practice because as we grow and we get better, we have to 
continually humble ourselves. Otherwise somebody will do it for us. And so, wow. Yeah. That's, that's really wise. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's definitely been a thing for me because I went into medical school as a corpsman. Oh, I already know so much stuff. And then I got there and like medical school quickly humbled me on how, just how little I knew. And so it, since then I've continuously caught myself in uh, stages where like, I feel like I know a lot. And then I have to remind myself, there's so much that I just don't know. And even yeah, on don't auditions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. on auditions right now, they'll be like, do you have any questions? I'm like, the fact that I don't have questions tells me how much I don't know, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that in and of itself already tells me I don't know something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you sound like a, a great guy and you sound like you're doing well in your audition already. So um, <laughs> I appreciate good, that. Good, I certainly hope yeah, so. Good, good luck to you um, with that and um, with your interview season coming up. I appreciate that, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode with Dr. Davis today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.